Father, I do thank you uh, once again for your grace and your mercy to us and, and the, the love that you have shown your people through the gift of your Son. And that not only have you redeemed us from our own sin, but you are um, building in us um, and continuing to shape us the image of Christ. And I pray that uh, we, we seek after him with all of our heart and that you, by your grace, by your spirit, would, would give us a heart that loves Jesus more than any other idol that nips at our heels. He's so much greater, and we, we hope to see a little bit more of that this morning as we look at uh, this little section in Matthew. I pray that our minds would be open, our hearts would be open, and that your wisdom and your um, love for us would be shown, and that you shape us um, and challenge our, our biases and, and, and conform them and shape them into your biases. We want to look like you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I know that was cryptic. But let's look at Matthew 15. When you d typically, I, I said you, when the culture typically thinks of Jesus, they think of him as, uh, you know, Gandhi for the Jews or whatever, and, uh, or, or Gandhi for the Christians. Uh, the nice guy, the, the meek and mild, peace-loving, PC, very tolerant. We, we craft him in our own image kind of thing, depending on the culture. And then you run across a story like this, and it just kind of challenges that. And I, and I love the fact that Scripture does that. God is not going to allow us to create Jesus in our image. He, the, the Gospels have these sections of Scripture that challenge our most um, culturally embedded ideas about who He is. And so let's look at verse, um, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This story has always bothered me. I mean, think about what's going on here. Well, what is going on here? Let's, who are the characters in the story? Let's, we'll just talk about it that way. Who are the characters in the story? Who are the players? Who, just name them. Who are they? 
Obviously a good answer in Sunday school. Yes, very good. And there's stuff in, in red, so we know that that's him. Well, the Canaanite woman. Jesus, Canaanite woman. Who else? The disciples. Who's not mentioned, but very much there? What? The daughter. Okay, the daughter. The, the demon. <laughs> he has a... He has a it's supporting cast role. What, 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 who else is there but's not mentioned? Not dogs. People? <laughs> the people watching. Everywhere he went, there's a crowd, right? Where is this taking place? Where's this, where's this taking place? Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so this isn't southern Israel. This is northern area. This is more of a... Hellenistic mixed kind of area, kind of a melting pot of Judea stuff going on here. The surrounding community that we're talking about uh, in any of these in any of these stories, unless other you know he pulls himself away if it says that he secluded himself with just his disciples. The surrounding community is always at issue. There's always people watching him, always seeing how's he going to react. Who is this guy? What's going on? And so the surrounding community is a critical component of these stories. Jesus is not simply dealing with this woman, but he's dealing with the disciples on a profound level. Um, and he's dealing with it on what precedes this story. How, what, what is Jesus talking about right before this story? Matthew puts this here for, for a reason. What does it say? Look at verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What, what, what's going on there? Who's he directing that statement to? I'll end on the preposition. Sounds like it's being directed toward the Pharisees. Toward Pharisees, towards the judicial, uh, judicial, the Judaic system, somewhat judicial of laws and the cleanliness which we've already gone through, which the stuff we just went through in Leviticus and Exodus and, and when we do numbers we'll, we'll see some more of that. This washing, this cleansing, this all this stuff and, this, and, the, and the dialogue he had right before this event is portrayed in Matthew was about it's not the stuff on the outside that defiles a man, it's the stuff on the inside. Um, Making a bridge between, you know, the practical purity that they're used to, mm -hmm. moral, morally pure and impure. It's, it's a mirror of what's in the heart, right? And It's a picture of what is actually going on in the heart. A, a bridge between, we're sen we are sense-oriented creatures. <coughs> and God in His grace uses those kinds of images to show what's going on what, where we can't sense, right? So yes, that, that's what's going on. It's not stuff the outside defiles, it's stuff the inside. Um, she says, Have mercy on me, son of David. Who is this woman? Canaanite. What does that mean? Who are the Canaanites? They oppressed Israel. They oppressed Israel. We haven't done Joshua yet. I'll be 90 by the time we get there. What happened? They were supposed to be wiped out. But, but, but Israel failed there. They didn't follow God to the fullest in those places. They instead enslaved these people. Rather than destroy them, complete God's judgment against them for, their decade, uh, for centuries of really vile sin, they allowed them to remain, and they eventually became a stumbling block to Israel, and, they, and that 
cause judgment to come on Israel. So you have a Canaanite woman, uh, we could say Gentile woman. So what's, what's the problem with Jesus even talking to this woman? It could potentially defile him. Why? At least in the culture, why? She got two strikes, right? She's, she's a she, because you only have two. You have a she and a he, and she's a she. <laughs> Just want to clarify that in the culture. And then she's also a Gentile, and he's a rabbi. He's a holy man. She got two strikes. And she comes to him and says, um, Son of David, have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. What is going on there? She's recognizing his authority. She's recognizing his... This isn't just a simple sir. She's recognizing his authority as whom? The Messiah. The Messiah. Canaanite woman honoring him, calling him out before all these people as Messiah. Now that's pretty flattering, wouldn't you think? That would get you an audience if you're in a new region with some local people you're not really used to, and she's flattering him, hey, you're the Messiah, I get this. I would think that Jesus would say, hey, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He said that to somebody else who was close. Why wouldn't he say that to her? This is a Gentile woman. Even today in the Middle Eastern men, uh, in conservative areas, do not talk with women who are strangers. Rabbis did not talk to women of their own families in public. So here you have a gender barrier and an ethnic barrier, a Gentile seeking favor from a Jew. Um, you have a history of Jews were supposed, or the Israelites were supposed to wipe out the Canaanites. That didn't happen. Um, and she addresses him as Messiah. And what does she also ask of him? What is, what is the language she uses? Have mercy on me. Who's she asking for? Her daughter. Why would she say, have mercy on me? Why not have mercy on my daughter? Maybe because she knows she's a Canaanite and she's below the Jews. She understands where her cultural uh, status is with him, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. I believe in you, I'm asking on her behalf. This is a mother who is, who is grieving for her child. She's identified. The hurt that her daughter is suffering is a hurt that she is suffering. Right? Have mercy on me. Heal the child. It shows the emotion that's going on. The, the language here shows this is a very emotional scene. She's coming out of nowhere. Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is a... I mean, this, in the crowd, she's yelling this out. They hear it. She also says, she says, have mercy on me, not have mercy on my daughter. She's a mother. The pain she was feeling was that of a mother helpless with regard to what was being done to her child. And I would think that, you know, Jesus meek and mild, uh, being, you know, love all people, love, love this, love that. How do you think he would respond to her? Oh my gosh, what's wrong with your kid? Tell me about it. Would you think that? You're, you know the story, so you're not answering. I, I understand that. 
that would be our natural inclination. I didn't know this person, but they had this horrible thing going on. Compassion would go out. Wouldn't you think? What is his response? Uh huh. Right. And that was a man had come to Jesus and said, "My my son, my son or my daughter, I can't remember who it was. Was it Jairus? Okay, so um, and I'm saying that Southern um, was dying, and he says, "Go, your faith has made her go. Go to her. It's fine." And he did it like quick, right? Why wouldn't he do that here? What is he doing? He's just silent. Blows. I mean, she's sitting there crying. He just keeps walking. I assume. I mean, he didn't say he keeps walking. He could have just been standing there doing this, which would make it even more awkward. Why would he be quiet? Why would he do that? Is, it, is he indifferent? Is he rejecting her? What's he doing? He's carrying out his mission. Carrying out his mission. What do you mean? He says he was sent here only for the lost sheep of Israel. He's got a crowd watching him. He's got a crowd watching him. He's on his mission. I was sent to. That's what comes next. What? What? Do you, he might be making a statement. What do you mean? Right. He is making a statement on Tyre and Sidon being a, a region of Gentiles and Canaanites. Think about how many people probably come to him asking these You get tired of being asked and, to heal somebody and, and after no, a while. I just mean like Ask Benny Hinn. He hates he's it. Using this. He knows that he That's a joke. This. He knows her heart. He knows her intention. He knows she's not going to give up. He knows right? he can teach his disciples something. What is he trying? Okay. He, he knows he can teach his disciples something. So this he, comes... He if Go ahead. He her heart, and by being silent, it actually draws out her heart more. Ah. Because she doesn't react with, why are you paying attention to me? Right. She doesn't get angry or disrespectful, or it draws out her heart, actually. So this, this steely-faced, I'm not responding, is a test of the heart to draw out. He already knows what's what in her heart. <laughs> nice. Uh, what do we do? What do we do? Now I'm quoting you. Uh, what, what is it that is going on here? He knows her heart, right? Why would he need to draw it out? He knows her heart. What's going on here? What are the disciples? What's, go ahead. Does she know her heart? Does she know her heart? Okay. Well, does she know? How is she going to respond to his steely faced, silent thing? Who is it? Again, who is the, who's the audience? Also, the disciples in the chain before says that they were begging him like, to send her away. She's crying after us. I'm thinking they're probably embarrassed. You got this pagan woman bugging us. Send her away. What does that show about their heart? And hadn't he just talked about, in Matthew's Gospel, the way it's laid out in 1920, it's not the stuff on the outside... Jewish legalist. It's the stuff on the inside. What's on the inside of the disciple's heart? Send her away. She's just a pagan woman. Right? What's that, by the way? What is that? 
that they're displaying. What do we, we have an ism that we call that. Racism. Yes, and there's another one. Sexism. Sexism, racism. We got this whole, he is, he is putting her in a situation and drawing out from his own disciples' hearts their ethnocentricity, because I don't believe in race, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> ethnocentricity, we all come from one, one pair, so we're all, it's one human, anyway, never mind. Um, he's drawing out the ethnocentricity of his own disciples, pointing to, you can wash your hands all you want, look at the crud in your own heart. Mm-hmm. Let's draw that out. I'm going to be silent, and he gives three tests, and he's basically reflecting their hearts toward this woman, and it's about to get real awkward. So, here's exhibit A of where the disciples' prejudices lead. He doesn't lecture them on the evils of stereotypes. He doesn't lecture them on the need to have compassion for the image of God in her, regardless of where she comes from. He doesn't, he, his approach is real subtle. He's just silent. And in the process, he's exposing this incredible courage. Incredible, what is she doing? Is that a very, is that a, a glory thing for her to be doing this? No. Middle of a crowd of Jews and Gentiles? She's she's laying she's humbling herself right just in that in this initial thing she's humbling herself, um, you know these kinds of these kinds of tests Jesus gave elsewhere we talked about Jairus' daughter there's a blind uh, a, a, some blind beggar I think that that said son David have mercy on me, and he says do you really want me to heal you? That's like a no brainer question it's one of those why are we asking this question well what he's saying is your livelihood's about to be taken away. <laughs> I'm going to heal your eyes. You're not going to be able to beg anymore. Do you really want me? So you have these kinds of ideas, uh, these kinds of scenes of testing that God, that, that Christ does in these, in these things. Um, this exam has three parts. And the silence is the first, and it sets the stage for his dialogue with the disciples about this woman. Verses uh, 23 and, uh, and 20, uh, through 25 is the second test. He didn't answer a word, and his disciples came and begged, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. us." Here's the second test. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The silence, they expect him to be silent, to not answer her, right? That's, That's their thing. We're above all Gentiles, even though we're under the foot of Rome. Somehow we're still better than everybody else. Um... He appears to endorse their cultural expectations and attitudes toward, toward women by just ignoring her. And their response is, they're emboldened by it. Send her away. Right? They're, hey, he's validating what's in my heart right now by being quiet, by being silent to this woman. Send her away. She's bugging us. And then he takes the argument a little bit further. In test two, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is Jesus calling for a safe zone here? Just the house of Israel, please. He's talking to the disciples, not her, but can she hear him? Can she hear him? Yes, she can hear him. 
Everybody can hear him. He's not being silent about this display of prejudice against this woman. Why would he say that? They're deep in Jewish... Are they deep in Jewish territory? They're in a mixed area. They're in a mixed area, right? I was sent only to the house of Israel. So you've got the no-border people, and then you've got the very conservative Jews who want you know, to build a wall and make the Gentiles pay for it. And so you have this situation. Yes, I know, I did it. Um, it you have all this going on, these two competing ideas, very you know, cosmopolitan and very much just Israel kind of people. And he's saying this out loud. That... Uh, that ethnocentric view would fly in Galilee, but not so much here in, in Tyre and Sidon. And especially not when you're faced with a needy mother. I mean, there's just something about that situation that kind of gets you no matter who they are, right? It's an awkward moment. Kevin, when he says lost sheep of Israel, what, I mean, obviously, we, in hindsight, we understand what he means, but how would they have taken the lost sheep of Israel? Because Israel, they believe that all of them are found sheep, that they're all saved, they're all children of Abraham. So how would they interpret that? How is a Jew a true Jew? What do they do? Every year, at least once a year, what are they supposed to do? Make a trip to the temple, do the sacrifices. They're to do ongoing sacrifices. Where is he right now? He's outside of that area. He's outside of that area. These people are probably not doing it, right? So maybe there's, there's some of that, and they're like, yeah, we're going to get them back. He's playing to that. We're going to get him back. Um, there, Jesus is giving voice to what his disciples are thinking. Of course, let's get rid of her. We have no time for this Gentile trash. Uh, to the woman, it comes across as, why should I serve a Gentile like you? So the question is, is she going to catch the hint and go away? Is she going to be socially astute and get, you know, context clues and take a hint and go. No. She didn't move, did she? Why? Why? Faith is strong. Faith is strong. What is faith? The, Jesus can save her daughter. The hope of things unseen. <laughs> He's importing in Hebrews from Wednesday. But it's interesting that she actually did physically move. She actually came and she knelt next to him. Ah, that's an interesting posture to take. If if it's her faith that's keeping her there, is it just this wispy, I believe, I hope, I this? What are we talking about? Faith is action. Faith is action. Faith in whom? Always a good answer in Sunday school. Son of David. In the son of David. And that's, I think, key. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's, who's come. And uh, her trust is, she, you know, they've heard the stories. He healed Jairus' daughter, he healed blind man. They've heard the stories. They, she knows that he has the power to do it. She believes that he has the power to do it. She believes in his willingness to do it because he's healed other people. Why wouldn't he heal my daughter? She trusts in the character of what she has heard and believes it to the extent that this stuff that's coming from him 
doesn't comport with what I've heard of him, that only means this. But I'm going to keep going after him. That's faith. Regardless of what I'm, when God is silent, Tim mentioned earlier, when God is silent, how do we keep going? We keep going after Jesus. It's so strange that her faith and understanding is such that he can use it to teach his disciples instead of the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. So the second part of the test is, uh, was her concern for her child so deep and her confidence in the character and compassion of Jesus so profound that she would keep asking in spite of this apparent showing of Jewish prejudice? And she responds, like you said, in a very moving and magnificent sort of way. Very simply, she just kneels and says, Lord, help me. Okay, this is getting really awkward at this moment, right? He's ignoring her. I've only come for the lost tribe of the uh, lost sheep of the tribe of Israel or the house of Israel. And, and then she kneels in the crowd. It's already feeling some ethnic tension going on here. And she kneels down. Look what he's making her do. Right? She kneels down and, and says simply, Lord, help me. Now you gotta be pretty black hearted. And I, and I could probably give this a run, but you got to be pretty black-hearted not to be moved by this scene, regardless of who she is, where she comes from. By kneeling, what is she conveying to everyone around her? Lordship. Lordship. She's called him Lord. What does that mean, Lordship? He is in control of all things. And what she's dealing with is spiritual, and he can deal with it, and no one else can. She knows that he is the only way. He is the only um, healing that she can seek. Okay. She's submitting to him. He's it. He's the only way. She's submitting to him as Lord, not just Rabbi, not just Sir, but Lord, Son of David. She's submitting. She's kneeling. She's humbling herself. I have no claim to him. I'm a Gentile woman. And so in verse 26 and 27, we see the next step of the dialogue. Jesus takes the theology, the, the bias of the disciples that's been revealed here, and reduces it to its absurd conclusion. You have a woman whose daughter is suffering, who's crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, kneeling before you, the natural response is, of course I will, regardless of what's going on in the culture and in the world around you, regardless of geocentric, uh, geo, whatever, politics, geopolitical stuff going on. You have this individual kneeling before you, Lord have mercy, and what's the, what's the thing he does? You know, it's really ugly sometimes when what we feel in the heart is verbalized. It gets really ugly and really awkward when something that we're holding on to that we'd never actually say, but we just kind of think that way, gets verbalized. And so this scene, in, in logic circles, we call it a reducto uh, ad absurdum, reduced to its absurdity. What person with a heart beating would do this and say something like what he says to this woman 
it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What in the world? Jesus making mild. What in the world? Dogs aren't pets. And these were, they're slightly higher than pigs in the culture. They're not pets. They don't do, you know, dog pictures on Facebook with, in, in Israel. They don't, they're not big, big dog people. Um, it's ugly and embarrassing what he does. He verbalizes what's in their heart. These words are thrown in the face of a kneeling woman pleading for the sanity of her daughter. Um, neglecting a beggar might be one thing. But this is an entirely different scenario. This is, this is harsh and cruel and what is going on here? This would make the disciples in the community watching this scene very uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable and I'm reading about it 2,000 years later. I just, good night. So what's the third part of the test? How is she going to respond? Is she going to stand up, bow up? How dare you, you Jewish dog, you know, we take dog insults at each other. Is she going to respond with an insult? What does she do? It's agreement. Yes. And can you see the look in her eye? I just, I, I, this is not, this is me, this is Kevin interpreting the scene, just for what it's worth. The look in her eye as she's kneeling before him kind of looks up with a little half grin, but even the dogs get a crumb off the master's table. What an amazing twist there. To take an insult like that and yet still be persistent in getting just a piece of him is enough. I'll take a crumb. She absorbs it and with a touch of humor turns it into a third request. Don't you have a crumb for my daughter? Right? What does that say? about her. Let's start with her heart. What does that say? She recognizes her own fallen nature and that she's not worthy to be making was. I'm not worthy of any of this. I don't deserve anything from you. I'll take a crumb. There's humility. There is, I would say, brokenness. Kind of a, a almost a joy in her humility in the way that, that I, I'm kind of picturing it in my head. Um, a recognition of him as a good master. A recognition of him as a good master. Who even has some left over for dogs. There's yeah. Great faith there. Like with that. Because she, she's still there. She's still there. She didn't walk away. Yeah. And through the silence and then through the lost sheep and then the third one, she's okay, but still do it. And at each do stage, it. at each test, she's humbling herself further and further. And further, even with this last statement, there's this great humility and great trust in his character and who he is. Her response displays her confidence in Jesus as the Messiah of mercy, God's salvation for Jews, and here's the kicker, and Gentiles, even the crumbs. She's willing to pay any price, even public humiliation, to receive his grace, which he gives. Be it done for you, he says in verse 28. What began as silence, um, what, what began as silence becomes a massive praise for this woman. 
be it done for you. That's Jesus' divine word of healing, not just for the daughter, but for this woman and the anguish of her heart. She displays, she exhibits for the disciples faith that outshines what they have seen in Israel. She shows humility, faith in that even a little bit of Christ is enough, and wisdom and willing to be humbled by Christ until she achieved her goal. That's wonderful. What's the takeaway here? How come we're reading about this 2,000 years later? What's the point? Why would Matthew include this? Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's peel back the layers of the onion then. Go ahead. Right? Thank God he came to save Jews and Gentiles alike. I think this also shows something, and Tammy, Tammy went there early, but that's okay. Uh, I think this also shows something about how we are to respond through a frowning providence of God. Sometimes he's silent. Sometimes the circumstances are rebuking, right? Difficult. Sometimes they are hostile. And sometimes we haven't necessarily done anything wrong. We haven't... She wasn't like the woman caught in sin. Right. She had a, a daughter who was demon-possessed. There's not anything yeah. indicating that she had done something wrong. Right. I mean, she was a sinful person, like all people are sinful people, but it wasn't a result. The circumstances were not a result of her sin, and yet she was right. still suffering. Right. And, and so uh, we go through those circumstances, right? We go through these situations where there's a need that we have, and we, we cry out to God and it feels like your prayers hit the ceiling and hit you back in the head or whatever and all those little cliches that we use when it's silent. Or, or there is, you know, you're praying for this and then that becomes even worse. <coughs> you got no answer for it. Or you're praying for this, it's become worse and now it becomes hostile. If you can keep your head about you and all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, you'll be a man, my son. That situation comes in. What's going on? Why aren't you answering? Have you left me here to die? I mean, aren't, aren't these the natural cries uh, that we see in the Psalms on, on these kinds of things? Have you left me here to die? I think this is a great, very quick picture of what's going on in those situations. And, and I'm, not, I'm not giving a time frame on the situation. This happened pretty quick. But I think it's, a, it's something to embolden us in our persistence of Jesus through those times. There are two reasons for going through those humbling times. One, it's discipline to reveal what's in my heart, your heart, so that the worth of Jesus is displayed and you or I might be changed. Right? There's that. The second reason is, which I think is going on with this woman, the testing to reveal what is in your heart, my heart, so that the worth of Jesus is displayed and others might change. And that's what's going on here, I think. Her encounter with Jesus was used by him in a very awkward way to display the ugliness of the disciples' hearts. And these are guys who are going to lay down their lives taking the gospel 
to Gentiles. I mean, Peter stays in Jerusalem, but the others go. I think Thomas made it to India. I don't know. It's just a, I don't know. It comes down to this. Are you growing in grace where your need of Christ even a little bit outweighs your desire for pride, honor, and praise of others? When you are tested, and you will be, will you persistently and wisely cling to Him in the face of awkward humility until He is your own? Anybody there? <laughs> Go ahead. To me, this, this brings out the humility of what she did and how God doesn't owe us anything. Like we, How we need to approach Him, yeah, we need to approach Him with faith and boldness. We approach the, the throne in boldness, but we also need to approach Him in humility because He doesn't owe us anything. Um, we are depraved. We are the dogs that are outside of Israel. Mm -hmm. And we are the Gentiles that don't deserve anything. Yet we as Gentiles have been grafted in. Right. And so the humility of how she approaches him and how he reacts just shows the, the gap. I think in my life, I, I picture God as, oh, well, you know, if, if I say the right phrasing or whatever, declare it in Jesus' name kind of mm -hmm. thing. Like, I, if, I confess, if I confess my sins to God, well, then he has to forgive me of my sins. That's his job. And that's, that's his job. Yeah. And that's arrogance on my part. Sure. But this is, this is humility. Yeah. And this really brings out our true position underneath Christ. Sure. And again, I think it also highlights the idea that you see in a, in a lot of these, the parables and in these snippets, faith is not, if I really believe I'm going to get something, I'll get it. Faith is, here's my need, but I trust your character. I trust the nature of the God I know. Not the God I, I, I have created in my own image that's going to give me everything I want. But the God that's been promised and revealed, how He's revealed Himself to be, that's faith. And what she heard, that's what she trusted, even in the face of these three tests. And in the process, we're reading about it, we're being challenged, we're thinking of, uh, hopefully, our own biases that need to be challenged. I think it's worth pointing out that as we read these stories, we're not Jesus, the Savior, but we're the woman that has nothing to offer and begging for mercy. So they, uh, or the disciple needing to be challenged. Yeah, or the dog, but or the demon in some cases. But, okay. yeah, I mean, we, we always try to put ourselves in, in the, I think that's why superhero movies are so popular, because like we think we're the superhero. And like when we read Ruth, we think that we're Boaz, and like, oh, we're the, we're the Savior. Mm -hmm. And as Christians especially, because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, so I think it's, there's a temptation there to be like, oh, well, we're the righteous one that needs to go save the world. But like, that's not our role. Um, so you started off the lesson by saying like, it was Jesus, this is how Jesus interacted with this woman. Is this, and I guess my question, is that appropriate for us to, to treat somebody that way? And I would say, you know, I can't think of any role that, that we should, that it's our job to test people's, I guess, motives, because that's the Holy Spirit's job. Well, I, I, go ahead. I, I, think, I think his goal in doing this was not, not necessarily just maybe to say that we're supposed to drop, because he did know her heart, and he knew his disciples' heart, right. and he was using this interaction to draw out both. 
of right. those sides. Right. But I think where we need to be careful is that his, the way he was interacting was showing his disciples' heart, and we need to be careful of our, of our own biases, mm-hmm. like you said, toward, toward people that are different from us. Because mm-hmm. um, we all have them. Sure we and do. I mean, we like to think we don't, but we do. <clears throat> right. If you say that you can't talk to people the same way Jesus did, then we can't tell them what Jesus said. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, because it's all harsh. It just depends on how you do it. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get somebody down constantly. Mm-hmm. No, of course not. Yeah. You know, is Jesus with you? But if you're like, hey, you know, this is, this is what Jesus has said. Mm-hmm. It stinks. He's calling you a dog. Yeah. I was there too. You know, that lady went and her daughter was saved. She's going to hopefully be telling everybody the joys of Christ and what he did. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, that, and that's really not, that's a, maybe a discussion for another time about how you approach and incorporate the technique he uses here. I will tell you, uh, as, as a father, I use it often. <laughs> because I want to see if my kid is repenting or just trying to go to the next thing. And so I'm silent. Daddy, I want to go play. I've already cleaned my room. and I'm sorry for yelling at my sister earlier. Are you really sorry? Or are you just wanting to go play or whatever? And just silent. Dad, I said I want to. Well, now we're seeing that's what we got going on right here. So I think it is a helpful technique in some situations. But I don't think it's one we roll up on strangers with. Um, to answer your question, yeah. I think a lot of us are there and more often than we see. Mm-hmm. So we're the disciples that just strolled on by mm-hmm. without Christ yeah. in us. Uh, without Christ changing how we right. address the situation. Yeah, what, what if this woman were for North Tyler? Right? Well, or Mississippi? Earlier, just on his. Or even Alabama. This is the book of Matthew, Matthew author. Right. She wanted to speak that. But right. No, I don't. In chapter 10, when he's listing all the apostles out, he's the only one that lists himself in the profession that goes with that. And it's not because he's mm-hmm. proud that he's a tax collector. He's saying like I've been there I'm yeah. the sinner and I think this story just kind of is a revelation of the Romans road like mm-hmm. did nothing mm-hmm. you know to those who have believed and received the right. gift it's just the gift but yeah. he identifies himself as a sinner and just like Paul chief of all yep yep it's good it's good anything else I think it shows us the importance of not letting our emotions trump our faith mm. Um, I mean, she could have been emotional and prideful in how we mm-hmm. talked to her, but this she's also pleading for her daughter. Mm-hmm. She's seeing suffer. And so it could have been really easy for her to just go off the hinges whenever he didn't respond the way you know, in mercy at first. Yep, that's good. good. I see a great parallel between her and the parable of the, the woman pleading before the unjust judge. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jesus says, well, how much more will... You know, will I, my father, give you if this unjust judge, mm-hmm. you know, as she kept pleading and pleading, he was just like, okay, stop, stop asking me. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. So this woman believed in his character. Yeah. And, and that's the key to it. Yeah. And, and wouldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't stop trusting in who he was. It's a great example for us. Mm-hmm. It is. Anyone else? Okay, it's just uh, 
just 10.15, I don't know. It's rustling going on outside. I'll, uh, I'll pray. Lord, it's a great test to our trust in you when we're praying and when we're seeking you and we feel like it's silent. Or when things get more difficult or when things even get hostile. I pray that your spirit would move in us, ignite the, the trust that you've given us, this gift of faith that you've given us, so that we would not falter when the world looks unmerciful, when our circumstances and, and, and you in them appear to be um, callous to what we're going through. I, I pray that we would be compassionate to those around us who are going through things and not be callous, that our biases would be revealed to us, we would repent of them, and that we would be those who are ministers of reconciliation, be reconciled to Christ. That we would meet physical needs and move then toward the spiritual need, the need for Christ, knowing that we are created as one unit, body and soul, and both are being redeemed by the gospel. Would you make us reflect Christ and the power of the gospel more accurately than we do in our 21st century chaotic environment? Don't let us take on the biases of the world as our own. Keep our focus on Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing. Help us be part of that, not the agendas of political parties and little factions of our country. We have one goal, one purpose, one kingdom that we're working for. We'll be lights in a fallen world, reflecting the author of light, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.